Ephesians chapter 2, just a brief, um, this is not a, a history lesson, lesson this morning, but I want to remind us just of a few details of history. The Protestant Reformation of the 16th century was a recovery of the gospel. So men like Martin Luther in Germany, John Calvin in France, and Ulrich Zwingli in Switzerland were used mightily by God to bring both Reformation and revival by emphasizing the centrality of Scripture and the gospel of salvation by Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, so that God alone, as we just sang, receives all the glory. So therefore, knowing this, the theology of the Reformation can be summarized by the following phrases. By Scripture alone, by Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, to God alone be the glory. And so as a result of the Protestant Reformation, the Church of England was formed. Many within the Church of England continued to work to purify the Church, and some separated to form separate or independent congregations. So these congregations were either congregational or Presbyterian in their form of government. And among these separate congregations in particularly the early, early 17th century, several of the pastors became convinced of believers' baptism by immersion. And so for this reason, the doctrines of the Reformation are extremely important to us as Baptists. And so this morning, as you may have noticed in your bulletin, uh, this message is entitled By Grace Alone, and um, we took the opportunity to better read through Ephesians chapter 2 just a moment ago. So we will not do that again, but I encourage you to keep your place there. We're going we're gonna to be looking um, expositionally throughout um, or phrase by phrase, uh, dot, um, by dot, as some different um, texts throughout and verses throughout the first ten verses of Ephesians 2. So in Ephesians 2, this passage, a few things that I want you to take note of that I made mention of uh, momentarily ago, is that Paul shows us that salvation is by grace alone. Salvation is by grace alone by showing us within the text the former, the current, and the coming condition of believers. And so the first thing I want us to notice this morning is the former condition of believers was horrific. The former condition of believers was horrific. We see that in the first three verses. So Paul there first describes the members of the church at Ephesus as having been previously spiritually dead. This is the former condition of all believers and the current condition of everyone else that has not trusted in Christ and repented of their sins. So in Scripture, the word life is the term commonly used to express union with God. And death as a state of alienation from him. So Paul, he goes on a little further and he describes for us the kind of death experienced by unbelievers. 
Unbelievers are, are said to be dead in trespasses, as we see there in verse 1 of chapter 2. They're said to be dead in what? In their trespasses and sins. So the word trespasses has this idea of falling aside, while the word sins conveys for us the idea of missing the mark. So for Paul, what is his point of this horrible description of man by his, by his human nature as the result of sin, particularly in these first three verses? And so Paul's point, I would say, is to show that man, as he is, in his sin, apart from Christ, what do we deserve? We deserve nothing but punishment apart from Christ. We deserve nothing but judgment apart from Christ. We're reminded that we, we are children of wrath by nature. And not only by nature, but also by conduct by our whole attitude toward God. As we see there in verse 2, look there with me, that we follow the course of this world, we follow the prince of the power of the air apart from Christ. And so that is the sort of, of creature, if you will, that we are. We're, we're dead, so in our, remember, in our former condition... We're dead in trespasses and sins. A creature, verse 3 reminds us there in chapter 2, a creature of lust of the flesh. Doing what? Carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. So think about that descript I mean, as we think about how that describes us in our former state. So apart from Christ, there's no more appalling description possible, I would say, than that. In our former state, if we currently know Christ, without him, this image can't get much worse of the state that we're in, in our former state, without Christ. And so, does, we could ask, does such a creature, does such a person deserve anything? Are we deserving of anything? Has such a person any right at all in God's presence? Well, we might argue that we have a right to be in his presence, but do we have any right at all in the presence of God? Can we come forward with any kind of plea? or with any kind of demand, that we are owed the fact to be in God's presence. Well, the whole point for the Apostle Paul is to say that such a creature deserves, such a person deserves nothing at the hands of God but judgment and punishment without Christ. And so Paul, then, looking there with me, take your eyes and look at verse 4. And we see some, some change begin to take place. We see this contrast in verse 4. And Paul gives us this amazing contrast in verse 4 by saying, But God. 
but God. And so the whole purpose of the contrast is to exalt the grace and mercy of God and to show that where man, where we deserve nothing good at all, God not only gives us, but he showers it upon us. Look at verse 7. He showers it upon us by the immeasurable riches of his grace. And so because of our, our condition consists of us being in our former state, spiritually dead, we are children of wrath, as the text reminds us. This means by, that by our nature, we are worthy to receive God's judgment. And so, if we are spiritually dead, we are unable to respond. In our being spiritually dead, we have, do not have the ability to respond. We need to be resurrected. And that can only happen through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the spiritually dead man, as we see, and Paul reminds us in this text, that we're indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and are in need of being resurrected. And this is exactly why salvation must be and is by grace alone. We are in desperate need. Do you recognize that you are in desperate need? Do I recognize that I am in desperate need of God? And while being completely undeserving of God's grace, He has taken the initiative. He has taken the initiative in our salvation. And so the first three verses there of Ephesians 2 show us that the former condition of believers was horrific. But look with me there at verse, again, 4, 4 through 6, and 8 through 10. I want us to see, secondly, that the current condition of believers is merciful. While we're reminded, Paul reminds us that our former state, if we're in Christ, is horrific. But when we are in Christ, when we know Christ, that current condition of believers is merciful. So this is seen as Paul describes the initiative that God has taken for us by giving to us the spiritual resurrection that we all you know, so desperately need. As verse 4 reminds us, there's nothing that we've done to deserve it since we were spiritually dead. Verse 4 reminds us that it is because, of God, because God is rich in mercy that we have been saved. It is because of God and Him being rich in mercy that we are able to be saved. So this phrase means that God lavishes out His compassion upon us. You think about that fatherly love. Even for us, if you are a father here today, a good question of our side, do, we, do I lavish out my love toward my child or my children? It's a great example that we can look to Christ and remember and be reminded of and be emulating, but yet knowing that we do so imperfectly. But we can look to the one 
who was rich in mercy and lavishes out his compassion with perfection. And so concerning our salvation, this is the testimony of all of Scripture. Paul states in Titus chapter 3, you can make note of it, you don't necessarily have to turn there, I'll read for us, starting at verse 5, going to verse 7. Starting at verse 5, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we might be made heirs be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. But how, we may ask, how is this salvation received? Well, Paul, there at verses 8, 9, and 10, reminds us that salvation, at verse 8, is of grace. Salvation is of grace. Grace, many of you may be familiar, we may often um, define it this way. We say grace um, means unmerited or undeserved favor. An easy way that you may um, choose to remember what grace means is with uh, the acrostic, the word grace. And God's riches at Christ's expense. Not at our expense, not because of our work, but because of what Christ has done, what Jesus Christ has done. So grace is an action. It's an action that arises entirely from the gracious character of God. Salvation is from God, and we don't deserve it. We don't. Not a single one of us. We don't deserve it. Ava, this morning, testifying of, of God's grace in her life. Any of us in this room, we don't deserve it but Christ, but God. And so there's no works that we can do to earn it. Verse 8, that second part, what does it say? The gift of God. It is a gift of God, not a gift from us, not a gift back to ourselves in which we've given to ourselves, but it's a gift of God. It's from God. And so the evidence, and you must hear that word, very important word, evidence. So the evidence of this salvation in our lives is seen in the faith of the individual. The evidence of salvation in our life is seen in the faith of the individual and then even further thinking about it and through it and in the good works. So it's not because of that, but it's as a result of what God has done and is doing in and through our lives that follow, that we, that were prepared in advance by God, verse 9 and 10 there of Ephesians 2. So what is more important is this, is not only 
That salvation comes from God's side. It comes to us despite ourselves. So it's unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. In other words, it's not God's response to anything in us. There's people that, that seem to think, you know, maybe even maybe some among us uh, this morning that may think that, hey, that it is. That salvation is, um, is God's response to something in us. But the word grace excludes that very thought and that belief. The Apostle Paul states in verse 5 of our chapter that we're looking at this morning, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And then, instead of going on to the next step, he says, by grace, by grace, you've been saved. So can a dead man, a spiritually dead man, raise himself? Can any of us who are dead and our trespasses and sins, can we raise ourselves? It's impossible to do. There's only one answer, and that is, at verse 5, is by grace that we are saved, that you are saved or can be saved. Paul was never tired of saying this. What else could Paul say, right? And that should be the testimony of our lives if we are Christians. What else can I say as we look back upon our old lives, as Paul looked back upon his old life? He saw how he hated Christ. He saw how he hated the church. He tried to slay and did slay Christians in his old life. And so what could Paul say but this? I am what I am by the grace of God. And so it was while we, Romans reminds us, chapter 5, while we were yet sinners. More it was while we were enemies, Paul says. In verse 8 and 10 of Romans 5, that we were reconciled to God by the death of Christ, of the Son. So we weren't just guilty of a little bit of sin, just a, a few lies. After all, we can oftentimes be guilty of thinking that we're, we're pretty good people. I mean, yes, I mean, we all think that. At maybe times, seasons in our lives, say, yes, I'm a pretty good, pretty good person. You know, oftentimes, if you've been out in the grocery store or, or maybe even in your own home, you've heard this, um, or going door to door or talking with someone over the phone, having a meeting with them, oftentimes, what, the, what is the phrase that we often hear when we ask someone if they think they'll go to heaven or hell? When they die, and it's usually something along the lines of, you know, I haven't murdered anyone, or I think I'm, my good will, will outweigh my bad. And what we often, what they often don't understand, that is apart from Christ's saving work on their behalf, there is no good. We're reminded in chapter 3 of the book of Romans, in verse 12, there is no one who does good. Not, no, not one. And further, all of our righteous deeds, they're like what? Filthy rags. And then, even further, we all like sheep. We've gone astray. Each and every one of us. 
to our own way. So apart from Christ's intervention, we are indeed at enmity. About said enema. Um, um, yeah, we're at enmity with the Lord. So what does enmity mean? It means we aren't just neutral. We aren't Switzerland during World War II. We are enemies with God. We are Nazi Germany, to give us a, a visual, maybe in our heads. Um, we're enemies with God. We're aliens, foreigners in our own minds. We're opposed to Him. We're not just mostly good people. We're not. We're not. But we're wholly corrupted, as the Word reminds us in, a, in every part of our DNA. So God's grace is undeserved. It is. It is undeserved. And it's only the, as a result of God's goodness that we, that you, can know God's grace. It is because of His goodness at work in you through Christ. And so my questions for you this morning are, are you depending on the grace of God alone for your salvation? Are you depending upon the grace of God alone for your salvation? Or are you trusting in your own works of righteousness to make you right with God? Do you see evidence of faith in the work of Christ on the cross in your life? Do others see evidence of that work of Christ in your life? Well, not only does Paul show us the former and current condition of believers, but he also shows us number three, at verse seven, he shows us the coming condition of believers will be spectacular, will be amazing. So this is salvation's purpose. Why has God done all of this? Why did he, from all eternity, choose us to be holy before him in love? Why, when we were dead in our trespasses, verse one, in sins, did he make those of us who repent and believe, why did he make us alive? Spiritually. Why did he raise us up and make us to sit together in heavenly places with Christ? Well, the answer to all of those questions is found in verse 7. It's given to us. Look there with me. Verse 7. That in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And so all this, the spiritual resurrection from spiritual death, has been done to show the immeasurable riches of His grace. And so the manifestation of the grace of God, of His unmerited favor, love, is declared to be the specific object of redemption. And so this is all said to take place, the text says, in the ages to come. So this final phrase again establishes for us the basis of God's kindness to us. It's said to be in Christ Jesus. So all God's grace and kindness toward, toward us is exercised through Christ. The ground of our salvation, 
as we think about that and are reminded of these truths is not our goodness, but whose? Christ. Not ours, but Christ. So often we skip over Jesus' life. And what do we oftentimes go right to? We skip over um, his life and we go right to Jesus died for you and he, he rose again for you. I mean, yes, that's true. But it's important for us to remember that before Jesus died, he did what? He lived. He lived. And so Jesus fulfilled all of God's good commands. He lived the perfect sinless life. We never can. He did for us. He did for us what the law demanded by first living a perfectly righteous, completely holy, untainted life. He was the perfect sacrifice for us because He was first perfectly obedient to God the Father. I want to share a quote with you by a Puritan pastor by the name of Richard Baxter. Further helps us with this truth. Quote, As we as we paid nothing for God's eternal love and nothing for the son of his love and nothing for his spirit and our grace and faith and nothing for our eternal rest, what an astonishing thought it will be to think of the unmeasurable difference between our deservings and our receivings. Oh, how free was all this love and how free is this enjoyed Glory, so then let deserved be written on the floor of hell, but on the door of heaven and life, the free gift. The free gift, end quote. So if God's salvation is so free, and if the purpose of his life, of the, this life, his life, uh, Lord Jesus, of this free salvation is that he might show or that we might show this immeasurable riches of his grace for all future ages. The question for us this morning, are we praising him for his grace and mercy toward us now? This morning, we've taken a few moments just to examine this Reformation slogan, if you will, of grace alone. By doing what? By looking at the, the former condition of believers, which was horrific there in the first three verses. The current condition of believers and the coming condition of believers. It's all only because of God's grace that he has made us members of the body called the church. And so we who are dead in trespasses and sins have been made alive through Christ Jesus in order that we might forever show God's greatness. So God's purpose for us in this world is to do just that. It's to show forth His greatness to a lost world, to all of creation. And as a result, salvation, we're reminded, Salvation does not rest upon, as we sang just a few moments ago, 
does not rest upon any human merit, but upon the grace of God alone. I want to conclude with a quote from Charles Spurgeon, which states the following, quote, The adornment of good works, the adornment in which we hope to enter heaven, is the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. But the adornment of a Christian here below is his holiness, his piety, his consistency. If some people, Spurgeon said, had a little bit more piety, they would not require such a showy dress. If they had a little bit more godliness to set them off, they would have no need whatever to be always decorating themselves. The best earrings that a woman can wear are the earrings of hearing the word with attention. The very best ring that we can put upon our finger is the ring that the father puts upon the finger of the prodigal son when he is brought back. And the very best dress we can ever wear is a garment wrought by the Holy Spirit. The garment of a consistent conduct. But it is amazing while many are taking all the trouble they can to array this poor body, they have very few ornaments for their soul. They have forgotten to dress the soul. End quote. This morning, as we do conclude, is your hope found in the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ? Is your hope found alone? and the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ in His work. If not, look to Him now before it is indeed too late for you to do so. Because even as I was reminded a few moments ago, and so many of us don't have to be reminded as we think about life, and the vapor of it is that we're not granted opportunities tomorrow. But we have today that the Lord has given. And if you don't know Christ, look to his work and what he has done on the cross, paying the penalty that we also rightly deserve and knowing the freedom in him and him alone because of the grace of God. And if this is the case for your life, that you do know Christ, then, Christian, are you adorning your life in holiness, in consistency, by first continuing to look to the Lord Jesus? Fathers among us who have those little ones in our homes, are you pointing those little ones? It's your responsibility. Christian, Father, you pointing those little ones to Jesus and what he has done that is through his grace alone. Maybe kiddos are no longer in the home. Maybe it's just you and your, your spouse, husband, you pointing your wife to the Lord Jesus 
consistently recognizing not only for your own life, but also reminding your glorious spouse that the Lord has given, that it continues to be Him and Him alone. As we said a few moments ago, so many different circumstances that are under this roof that we've, circumstances that we came in with, those that don't know Christ and those who do, those who are consistently following, we all need to do one thing. And we must continue. We must firstly, and then continually look to Christ. Recognizing that it's He and He alone that we need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness toward us in Christ. Lord, you indeed are good. Lord, I pray for those among us who, who may not know the work of the Son, not only his life, his death, burial, but also the resurrection from the grave. Pray now that they, through the marvelous work Holy Spirit in their lives, that they would look to you, Lord, in repentance and faith. They might know the free gift of salvation that you remind us of in your word, Lord, that comes from you. Help them, I pray, Lord, to place all faith and trust in you. I pray for the Christians here this morning, Lord, that you would continue to hold them fast as you so rightly do according to your perfect ways. And not because of us. But I do pray that you would help them to grow in holiness and consistency. That you alone, Lord, might receive all the glory. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen.